So you always want to be prepared to... To set goals. To be really disruptive. Diversity is fundamental. It is just trusting those super strengths. To recover from those failures and, and learn from them. Humility looks like the softest word, but it's kind of the hardest. We ourselves are in beta mode. Life goes on. Sporting Edge, inside the mind of champions. Welcome to the Inside the Mind of Champions podcast. My name is Jeremy Snape. I'm a former England cricketer with a master's degree in sports psychology. Since retiring, I've been fortunate to work with and interview some of the world's most successful thinkers and performers. And I'm passionate about translating their habits and routines into practical strategies to help you become more successful. In each episode, I'll be dissecting a common performance challenge to help you improve your mindset, your leadership and your team performance. To me, our mindset is the next frontier. So let's find out why. Hello and welcome to episode 29 of Inside the Mind of Champions. I really hope that you and your families are well and that your business is starting to see some green shoots of recovery through this pandemic. I took a bit of a break over the last few weeks. It's been a really challenging time uh, and I just felt like I needed a bit of space to reflect and refocus. So um, apologies if you've missed the content, but hopefully you find today's episode interesting for its context about the current challenges that we're facing. One of the key things that we've uh, done over the last couple of weeks at Sporting Edge is to close the main office and become a remote first business. I don't think I'd realised what a massive job it was to clear the office. It took uh, a couple of weekends to get it done. Uh, we just amassed so much stuff and printed so much paper and there was so much office furniture to shift about, but we're all done. And when we left the office last March, we did, you know, we did it a few weeks before the government directive. I think anxiety and uncertainty about the pandemic was starting to rise and it just felt like the right thing to do. I'm the eternal optimist and I genuinely thought at that time that we'd back, be back in about three weeks time. So we hurriedly grabbed a few laptops, a mouse and the emergency biscuits from the second drawer and dashed home on what seemed like quite an exciting adventure. And 370 days later, we still hadn't been back in the office. So it was quite a poignant time to reflect. And I know lots of businesses have carried the cost of an office over the last 12 months without any staff being in there. Uh, and it certainly was a point of reflection for us. Not only does the future remain uncertain about when groups can get together to work in close contact without masks and everything, but also my team have worked absolutely brilliantly from home. They've had a better work-life balance and they're you know, working in a, a more focused and flexible way. So that's our approach. For someone who's spent so much of their life in the thick of sporting teams, I really miss that impromptu banter and that social chemistry from being in the thick of it, striving together to a special goal with a, a group of people. But also I've realised that my team have worked brilliantly remotely and maybe I was part of the distraction that was taking them away from that focused work that they're now delivering. So I think we've all got to reflect on this new hybrid style of working, a few days in the office and a few days at home. But importantly, how do we create that sort of emotional connection through this period? 
So in this episode, I wanted to raise a few of these questions for us all to consider in relation to our teams. I know that we've got listeners from our friends in New Zealand and Australia that have been out and about largely unaffected over recent months. And we've also got our colleagues in Brazil and India that are currently experiencing some worryingly high spikes in in cases. So we're all sitting at different places in the timeline of this pandemic. Wherever you sit, I'm sure it's been a great time of incredible emotional, social and commercial upheaval there. While our ability to focus for longer periods may be better at home, I do think we miss out on some of this magical creativity and collaboration from being part of a team when we work alone. It'll be fascinating to see how the future of work emerges with these new conditions. So let's take a look at some of the ways that we can build and maintain these all-important social bonds across our working teams to ensure that we've got a strong team culture even when we're not in the same room. As ever, today I'll be selecting a range of insights from our research at Sporting Edge and over the last decade we've got um, people from elite sport, academia, business, neuroscience, strategy and all of these high performing team elements. So here's a taster of what's to come. I think building strong teams in the virtual world is increasingly a prerequisite of modern business and often it's where we fall down. One of the most important things to consider is the formation of a trust-based relationship with your colleagues. We can hide behind suits and have a lot of transactional moments with people that we work with. Um, uh, But, you know, smart leaders and smart, smart team members really find ways to connect off the pitch, if you like. And it's the, it's the leader of that team and the members of that team's responsibility to spot when they're networking or speak who they're speaking to and how often they're speaking to and are certain people being excluded from these teams. It's their responsibility to pull them in, not for the people on the outskirts, in the outgroup, to try and get their way in. The first thing that we have to do is define what we're here to do. What's our shared objective? Often when people spend time apart, they can have their own personal interpretation of what's coming from head office and they see things in slightly different ways. If we're not careful, these 5% deviations of interpretation can set us not only on a different path, but also on a divergent path, which will eventually split the team in half. So it's really important that in our communications, we're clear and precise about what we're all working towards. A few years ago, I spent the day with Force India Formula One team and their chief race engineer, Jakob Andreasen, gave a great answer when I asked him about how they develop this goal-focused mindset across the Formula One team. Our goal is lap time. We are lap time driven and everything that we do is focused and centred around lap time and improving lap time. And... That can come from anywhere within the team and uh, everyone is able and responsible for improving the lap time of the car and there's nobody that isn't capable of doing that, whether you're in marketing, um, finance, HR, everybody brings lap time to us. We have a finite number of people and, um, and a very specific end goal. And everyone should be focused on that. 
Now, I know not every business can have such a singular focus as that Formula One team, but it's a great reminder from Jakob. The exercise to test this would be to get your team independently to write down what they think the, the company or the department's top one or two goals are, and then ask them how their work for the week ahead will accelerate those goals. We might find that they're not clear on the overall strategic goal, and we might find that they struggle to see how their work contributes to accelerating that goal. Sometimes these simple questions bring such clarity and our team players were making assumptions in the past from the comfort of their own homes. But just by asking that sharp, focused question, we get a 5% realignment around our goals and that can make all the difference. So as we explore how to tighten up the efficiencies across our team, we need to consider two types of bond in a team that can make us the very best that we can be under change, pressure and uncertainty. Those two dimensions are task cohesion and social cohesion. So task cohesion is the quality of the interdependency you've got to get the job done. It could be a set of processes and routines and handovers from one person to the next that have been ingrained over many years to make sure that you don't duplicate on work or leave dangerous gaps in the process. I often think of this like a, a machine with droids pressing buttons and passing widgets down a production line. It's clinical, it's precise, it's predictable and it's well drilled. The teamwork is brilliant but mechanical and everyone knows their place and their role in delivering excellence. I know in building the technology platforms for our digital coaching programmes and new members club that the spec needs to be defined really clearly and then tested and reviewed with a number of different people checking layouts and functionality across different screens and different mobile devices. This is far from haphazard. It's a series of test scenarios, templates and working routines that our team have developed over about the last eight years. And it's these robust processes that are open to being adapted and improved, of course, but they give the team the sequence and the confidence they need to execute a piece of work efficiently. Around a year ago, we actually scoped out our new members club offer and the content, the layout, the user experience, and then started to build the wireframes and architecture needed to deliver on that experience for our members. With each of the team working remotely around the world, these systems and processes were absolutely essential to make sure that the project ran smoothly. So this task cohesion was built around these solid processes and systems and the weekly rhythm of to-dos on the development schedule and the notes backwards and forwards on the shared documents allowed everyone to stay connected on the task. So this is our example of task cohesion. It's absolutely essential, but it's not enough on its own. What happens when one of your teammates makes a mistake or is scared to take a risk or needs help with the high pressure deadline? The spreadsheet and the process can't solve that issue. We need the strength of our social bond and that interpersonal relationship to help in times of pressure, change and uncertainty. So how do we accelerate trust in our virtual teams? I asked Stephen Frost, a leading expert in diversity and inclusion, about creating this connection in a virtual world. Building strong teams in the virtual world is increasingly a prerequisite of modern business. 
and often it's where we fall down because often you know it's face-to-face -face interactions that are the real fundamental foundation of building those teams but you can still do storytelling still do trust building um, over you know information uh, waves and means rather than just being face-to-face -face. I think fundamentally it's even more important to do that so understanding who this person is again beyond their job title or beyond their grade or their acronym that describes who they are who are they where are they from and how can we learn about each other and I actually think that that's a fundamental investment at the beginning of any project or any team building exercise because it does, does give people common reference points and common you know things they didn't know about each other to reference as we progress during the project. So we need to work even harder on making this emotional connection while we're working across text screens. Just little things like opening out the, the opportunity for that informal kind of catch-up conversation at the start of meetings is important. And little things like shrinking down the Teams or Zoom window to be smaller and moving it closer to the top of our screen where our camera sits so that when we look at the faces in the group, it looks like we're having more eye contact. We're actually looking closer towards the camera. It's these small strategies that can make a big difference in creating that connection that's essential. We've already mentioned the need to have a really clear goal, but as Stephen said, it's a great investment to spend time learning about the person, not just the performer. I think we've all become acutely aware of the personal lives for each of our team members over the last year. We've seen their kids in the background on Zoom or we've heard their dogs barking or we've heard more about their personal challenges and stories as they've tried to balance work and their private lives. And this all helps us to understand our teammates at a human level. That's so important as we drive collaboration on all of our business projects. We need to know who's in the trenches with us and how they might respond when the bullets start flying. So could you spend 10 minutes catching up on your weekly Zoom chats uh, before you fire into the sales figures? These organic conversations would be happening quite naturally in the canteen or by the coffee machine in the office. So we need to try and replicate that time, you know, and it's absolutely critical. It doesn't seem like business conversations, but they're essential business relationships that we need to invest in. Another point is that we need to make sure these relationships are maintained across the network and not just with one or two of our favoured friends. Dr Joe Candola is an expert in bias and inclusion and she reminds us of the role that bias can play in stopping us from being inclusive and the danger of alienating people in our team. As human beings, we naturally will gravitate towards people that are like us or that we feel we have something in common with, whether it be our gender, our, 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 our ethnicity, or whether we support a particular team at sport or we've got a hobby in common or whatever. But So in groups, we form in groups. We, we try to get surround ourselves with people that are like us on whatever the relevant dimension is in that context. Um, in the workplace, we see these in-groups and out-groups forming. So um, it could be around gender, it could be around race, it could be actually just that the, all these people like uh, support a particular football team or whatever. When you're in the in-group, you feel protected, you are safer. People will jump in to support you if you are challenged by other people from an out-group. And your contributions are remembered. 
So if you do a piece of work, people in your group remember it, the in-group may remember it. Often the in-group is the more powerful group as well. The out-group is a minority group. If you're in the out-group, your contributions aren't remembered, you have to work harder to prove yourself, um, and you feel alienated. You are not included in the, the kind of informal network, the informal conversations that are going on, and so therefore if you're not included in that, you don't necessarily have the information you can do to do your job as well, and as a consequence, therefore, you may not perform as well because you're being excluded from some critical pieces of information. So there are massive consequences to these in-groups and out-groups. Um, psychologically, that has a very detrimental point on uh, impact on the individual. I feel like I don't belong. My contributions are not valued. I'm working so hard here, and I feel I'm achieving as much as uh, my colleagues are, but, but people are overlooking me. If I make a mistake, it is noticed more, whereas their mistakes are forgotten. That has a huge impact on people, and they're either going to opt out and just sit and coast in their job, which is not good for an organisation. It's not That's not what you want out of your people. You want them all performing at their optimal level. Um, or they're going to leave. And you've potentially let somebody walk out the door that could be a huge talent and a huge resource to you. So it, it has an impact on the organisation, but it also has an impact on the individual. It, it starts undermining their confidence. They start questioning whether this is really, am I really um, not good at this? And actually then their performance goes down, which reinforces the belief that they're not so good, but it's because they haven't had access to the information. So they get caught in a, a real a spiral of actually, is this my fault? It has a major impact on people. Um, and it's the, it's the leader of that team and the members of that team responsibility to spot when they're networking or speak who they're speaking to and how often they're speaking to and are certain people being excluded from these teams. It's their responsibility to pull them in, not for the people on the outskirts in the outgroup to try and get their way in. So that's a great reminder for leaders of teams and for all of us as team members to ensure that we're making everyone feel connected. It's hard enough working physically alone. We shouldn't feel emotionally alone too. So that's another key action for us to sketch out the social clusters in our virtual network and make sure that no one has been left to spin out of the social orbit into space. Another consideration is how we recruit and induct new starters into our business. Traditionally, they would have absorbed the company culture through osmosis as senior leaders wander through the office setting the tone, or they'd pick up that gossip or small talk in the lift or around the kitchen area. How can we fast track that sense of belonging when someone won't physically be in our office space? This is where storytelling is really, really important. I'll create a separate podcast episode on storytelling, but in essence, what we want is our new starters to see their own life narrative being reflected in the company story. Are you the underdog or the pioneering innovators in your market? Are you the resilient business that's aiming to get back to your former glory as a brand after a setback? All of these stories have emotional hooks in them, which people can relate to. So belonging starts with that attractive story. And if your story matches this story from our business, then come in. Because when you're in our company, you can relax, you can be yourself, you can deliver your best work, you'll be loved by the team, and you can have a richer life for being part of us. In a virtual working environment, these conditions and stories become even more important in helping new starters 
to feel like they are understood and they belong to our organisation. But we can't just make that promise through a glossy brochure or a video, an induction video. We need to live and breathe this purpose and this philosophy of inclusion and belonging through the employee life cycle. I'm hoping that one of the key outputs of the pandemic is that we see a more human focus to our work. I think we're yet to see the impact of the pandemic on our mental health, our motivation and our mental well-being in the workplace. It's great to see so many positive support stories of people that are experiencing depression, addiction and who've suffered suicide in their communities. And rightly so, those are critical elements that we've got to try and identify sooner and reduce wherever possible. But there might also be a much bigger population that's harder to identify. These are the people who might just feel disconnected, really frustrated or lacking purpose in their life and work. They don't need clinical intervention, but we absolutely need to consider their mental good health across our organisations as much as we worry about mental ill health. So what's your organisation doing for the majority of people? What kind of support and content and services can you offer to help people to stay confident and focused and keep their well-being in check and stay resilient through these challenging times while they feel isolated, while they're not in the main office? That weekly rhythm and that commute has been taken away and most people have got used to this new style of hybrid working or working remotely. But the long-term cost of that may create some different psychological impact that we need to consider in our businesses. So as we start to look at the shape, structure and distribution of our talent in remote or hybrid working scenarios in the future, we also need to think about their psychological requirements so that they can deliver their role, not just their technological requirements. This is where I'm thrilled that we've been able to make a difference through our members club with a range of businesses building access to their employee engagement plans. Our two minute videos can be used to send in internal communications to bring a key theme on innovation or resilience to life, or they can be used by leaders and managers in their Zoom and Microsoft Teams meeting. They're a great way to kickstart a conversation and provoke fresh thinking. For example, watching a military leader talking about the importance of vulnerability or an athlete talking about focus or a senior executive that we've interviewed speaking about managing their energy. These are all great messages to reinforce the culture that many leaders are looking to create. I also send inspirational weekly micro lessons into our global membership group at 7am on a Monday morning to make sure that we're kickstarting some great high performance habits and a brilliant discussion around these themes and how people are using them to stay optimistic and focused in their business. Here's a little bit more information. During times of uncertainty and pressure, your mindset will be the key to your success. Sporting Edge members have unlimited personal access to hundreds of video insights and performance strategies to accelerate their personal and professional success. This is your chance to get powerful weekly micro lessons from the world's best thinkers and performers from elite sport. You'll be able to connect with a global network of entrepreneurs, coaches and senior executives on webinars, discussion forums and events. 
Become a Sporting Edge member and get access to the world's best coaches on demand. For more information, visit www.sportingedge.com or email hello at sportingedge.com. As a podcast listener, you can try out our members club for a month using the code podcast50 in the checkout. You'll get a month's access to all 700 insights and high performance strategies for just £15, including VAT. As I'm sure you've picked up in this podcast, high performance doesn't just happen. We have to invest in ourselves and proactively build these routines and habits and connections so that we keep ourselves in this positive place. And I really hope that you'll try the Sporting Edge Members Club to get a sense for this high performance lifestyle and mindset and that it can really help you to accelerate your confidence and boost your career at this pivotal time. So go to sportingedge.com forward slash membership and there's lots of information there about it or get in touch if you've got any questions about bringing a group into the members club. And if you join before the 21st of April, then you'll be able to join me for a mastermind session with Lisa Akerson, who's one of the UK's leading communication coaches, where we'll be exploring personal impact in the virtual world, which is so important at the moment. As we heard from Dr. Joe Candola about ensuring no individual feels left out, we also need to set some new norms and rules across our virtual teams to make sure that we're set up for success. As Professor Tammy Erickson from the London Business School now explains. One of the most important things to consider is the formation of a trust-based relationship with your colleagues. So take the initiative as an individual to get to know the people on your team and ask yourself whether you've got the kind of relationship with them where they feel safe uh, and you feel safe and you're going to share ideas freely. Uh, Research into teams that work well has shown that one of the strongest correlates of that is actually equal talking time. So when your team gets together, Pay attention to how the dialogue goes in terms of the amount of time each member speaks. If you are in a situation where one person is talking all the time and very few other people are, you're not in a very effective team. And if you've got any way to influence that, to be able to maybe say, hey guys, let's step back and and think about this and create a, a, a platform where everybody's ideas can come forward, That can be one really effective way. One of the things that I teach when I work with the uh, uh, master's degree students at London Business School, young people just starting out in their careers, is I encourage them to form a formal team contract at the beginning of their time together as a team. So sit down and talk about things like that. We're all going to have equal talking time. Or how will you make decisions as a team? Is it going to be a vote? and your largest number wins, or are you going to continue to debate until you reach a consensus? What's going to be your process? What are your expectations? What are the kinds of penalties that you're going to put in place for people who let the team down? Teams have to be self-managing in that sense. And so talking about those issues in a forthright way and coming to an agreement, particularly before an issue arises, can make a huge difference in team effectiveness. Discussing these rules and guidelines about how your team's going to operate for an upcoming project or the next quarter is absolutely essential. We can either do it proactively 
and build those strong interpersonal foundations and understanding. Or we can pick up the pieces when the wheels come off under pressure and we're doing it in review. Great teams confront these issues head on and they look for all the things that could derail us by looking at what if scenarios and they make a plan so that they've got an early warning system. I wish I could give you the winning formula for your team, but we're still working through this ourselves at Sporting Edge. But I think it's one of those things that actually brings the team together as an activity itself. The fact that we are looking out for each other, the fact we're looking at each other's strengths, the fact we're spotting where we could be exposed as a team, all gives us that sixth sense from a strategic point of view about how we might be able to adapt under pressure. But it also, that vulnerability and that sort of planning allows us then to understand each other again a deeper level which builds that social cohesion which we understood that we'd highlighted some of these issues and and worries and that then builds us stronger together to make sure that we prevent them from happening. These kind of authentic conversations going on within the team also should provide the psychological safety for everyone to ask some questions or show that they don't understand or show that they don't agree with that way forward. And it provides that safe environment for people to share their views, which they would again have done probably more readily in a face-to-face situation. But now it's on a formal call. We need to make sure that we're getting that safety and those channels of communication remain open behind a formal meeting, if that's the case, that it needs to be more of a broadcast kind of situation. So these open conversations and shared experiences are absolutely critical to building that social cohesion that we need in our teams. And James Kerr, the best-selling author of the book Legacy, now gives us his perspective. Trust, you know, clearly critical, uh, easily, you know, hard won and easily lost. Um, you know, you only need to look at some of the recent kind of Premier League um, in the last couple of seasons to see moments where the locker room has been lost. How do you build it? Building trust takes time and it takes, um, it takes what I'd call sort of social connection. You know, we have a lot of, we can hide behind suits and have a lot of transactional moments with people that we work with. Um, uh, but, you know, smart leaders and smart, smart team members really find ways to connect off the pitch, if you like. Um, and uh, that can be, you know, that can be drinks on a Friday night. It can be the sort of, you know, dreaded organized fun of away days and so on, which are invested in because they work. Um, or you can find different ways of creating an environment um, in which people connect uh, in a way that's beyond professional, if that makes sense. Still professional, but beyond just going through the motions. Um, that's the way to accelerate trust. I really like that idea of going beyond the professional. The robots in the car production line are brilliant at their job, but they'd never meet up for a beer after work although we don't really know what goes on when the factory lights are shut down. They're there to get the job done, and then they switch off. To be a high-performing team, especially in the current climate, we need to care about each other as humans, not just as remote robots. It's much harder to build trust remotely, as I think, as humans, we need to build that sixth sense for what the other people in our team are experiencing and feeling. If we were in the same room, we'd see and smell 
and experience the same things. We'd have the tactile handshake, the pat on the back, and we maybe even be tasting the same food at a company meal. These shared sensations are missing in the virtual screen. So listening intently and making the time to connect beyond work remains really, really important. I also like James's point about it's not just the leader's role to bring the team together. It's almost like every teammate has an equal share in the culture of the business. So we need to make sure that we're connecting each touch point across the network rather than just having connections coming from the top down. This is where a team's strength comes from under pressure. If you've been able to get together with your team and have a conference or an away day, then I'm sure you'll have benefited from that social connection. And for those of you who've been locked up for months on end, we have a few weeks left to wait. I know that the restaurants and shops are opening up very soon across the UK and and parts of Europe. I personally love going to conferences and speaking. I've got a few bookings in my diary for the late summer and early autumn, and I'm using those as motivational dates to look forward to in my calendar. Wherever you're listening to this episode from today, I really hope you're feeling connected and safe in your team. I'd love you to share this episode. I think the more we can discuss how our teams are going to cope in this new way of working, it'll be brilliant to help everyone out. I don't think anyone's got all the answers at the moment. So please do come across to LinkedIn and let's start the discussion there. I'll I'll put a post up about it. And also, if you've got any direct feedback, then I'd love your tips and ideas through to hello at sportingedge.com. Everyone's involved in this. This is a global pandemic. So the more ideas we can share, then the better we can get out of it together. Thanks so much for listening and being part of my community. I really appreciate you taking the time. Until next time, stay safe and good luck. Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside the Mind of Champions. Connect with Jeremy's LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram links in today's show notes to receive the latest insights from his work. If you'd like to get access to Sporting Edge's digital library or book Jeremy for a conference speech or webinar, then please visit www.sportingedge.com or email hello at sportingedge.com.